1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Insight in on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, from the Santa Monica Studios, ready to bring you another episode of the show you know and love, covering everything about the sport of tennis. A lot to discuss about the Miami Open this week as we get ready for the championship matches this weekend. Amy Wundy, who co-hosts the three podcasts on our network with Gil Gross and Joel Drucker, was at the event for a few days. She's been a guest on the show she breaks down a lot of the tournament. Carlos Alcarez has been brilliant. Taylor Fritz holding the American Fort down. Eubanks and Tanya Cristea doing wonderful things. Elena Rybakina going for the Sunshine Double. A lot to discuss with Amy Lundy and some things outside the Miami Open. And then I talked to broadcaster Noah Eagle, Clippers radio voice. He was the Nickelodeon voice of the NFL broadcast that they did. He'll be doing college football on Saturday nights for NBC in the fall also covering tennis when he gets a chance here at tennis channel a lot to discuss it was actually Noah's second podcast that we've done lots of breakdown of his last two years his love for the sport of tennis where he sees this going and where he sees his career going and how happy he is for his dad I Eagle to get the final four job next year a lot to discuss with Noah Eagle first up is Amy Wundy this is tennis channel inside in and it starts right now All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In, now joining us uh, from the Northeast to spend some time down at the Miami Open herself. She's been on the show quite a few times now. You can catch her on the three podcasts with Gil Gross and Joel Drucker, writing for Tennis Connected, Uh, some analytical uh, articles where I will, uh, I'll admit, pluck some stats and use them on here, but it's Amy Lundy (laughs) joining the show now. Amy, always a blast to talk to you.
2: Great to talk to you as always.
1: It's a, it's a fun time, the Sunshine Double. I think selfishly here in the States we like it because it's tennis all the time, and it's tennis all the time at reasonable hours. But uh, we're, yes. we're at the tail end of it. We're, we're almost done. We're about to crown the Miami Open champions. You got to spend some time down there. I know it's you know, been a couple of years now post-COVID, but what was it like being around the grounds, you know, seeing the practice, covering some press conferences, just getting a feel of the pulse for the tournament? What was that experience like?
2: I've actually been to the Miami Open the last two years, and and then I went once when they moved to the new location pre-pandemic, so now I've been in the new location three times, and I feel that the tournament is really starting to hit its stride. It was, you know, a bumpy start when they moved it from Crandon Park, and they had to basically put it in a parking lot of an NFL stadium and build these courts, but they've Figured it out. They've got the fan zones just right. They've got the feel right. They've got the courts positioned now, you know, north, south, exactly how they want. Um, And it's really a fan friendly experience. And and they've got great food, a good vibe. And then they've got this cool thing for the players that's in the stadium, but it's behind the main court. It's like a relaxation zone where they can warm up. There's plenty of room back there. They can socialize, do whatever. So I think the Miami Open is starting to really hit its stride.
1: So many players live in Florida, even the European players, they make that their base. So Miami is this destination. I think that there's also the the rising tide lifts all boats, right? Indian Wells has kind of been this magnetic force and done so well. I also think, and they'll never probably publicly say this, but because they are friends, but you know, James Blake and Tommy Haas are still a little competitive. So James Blake wants to kind of (laughs) make sure Miami's is on that part too. And he's done a great job.
2: Absolutely. I'm I'm hashtag Team James because he's had you know so many things to deal with, with the way that this tournament has come together the last few years. So I'm I'm really pulling for him. And it's a great city. The city itself great vibe i mean anytime the tournament's going on you've got somebody's on spring break there was a music festival going on like art shows it's just a fantastic place to hold a major masters 1000 uh, tournament
1: and something that you covered that piqued my interest and and raised my eyebrows too that i don't think you see at smaller events because the field's not just as deep but you get to see players top players practice with each other Like you were there when it saw Alcaraz and Setzapaz playing together. Like that kind of is a big deal. And I think we shouldn't take that for granted. What was it like to see that experience? And they're not the only two, but just to see two of the best practice and kind of take it a little serious.
2: I loved that. I want to do more of that, actually, because you can really dial in to what the players are doing, what they're saying to their coaches, what they're saying to each other, things that they're working on, they'll, they'll experiment and play around with things that you won't necessarily see mm-hmm. in a match. So it I, I picked up by somebody actually a friend of mine sent me the practice schedule and I was like, wow, look at this, I've got to go to this. <laughs> well, I wasn't the only one that picked up on it. Yeah. The fans were six rows deep lined up on the sides. And then in the bleachers, it was packed like mm-hmm. you could not I had to kind of elbow my way in. <laughs> and um, it was amazing. Um, it, it was amazing to see the the different mentalities. Pass was he's injured right mm-hmm. now. so he was pretty focused he like i wrote in my article he wasn't grumpy but he was just focused on what he was trying to accomplish mm-hmm. in that practice and just you know keeping himself healthy against practicing against the number one player in the world and alcaraz was really engaging with the crowd mm-hmm. and and after the practice he just on his own nobody told him to do this he just scooped up a, a bunch of balls off the court and just threw them into the the crowd for the fans so he was you know you know doing this and yeah. he was even laughing on the points that Pass got the best of him so it's really great for the uh, sport to see players do this and yeah. I would recommend it to anybody if you go to one of these larger tournaments
1: couldn't agree more uh, and speaking of the reigning defending number one player in the world don't want to be prisoner of the moment but where are you with just being mesmerized with this kid, Carl Alcaraz's level at the moment? Because it looks like, and again, Novak Djokovic will be coming back, but this is a bona fide number one who is running through the field and and really hitting his stride in the sunshine double.
2: Yeah, as as they say in Miami, he's so fire right now. I mean, he is so fun to watch and I think one of the reasons is you know I've been asking myself other than the amazing shot making and the power and and that kind of thing that stuff that other players have what does this guy have that the others don't and I really think it's there's an air of mystery about the next shot that he's going to play of course we know that he plays the drop shot excruciatingly well, and it's disguised better than any drop shot in the world right now. So you just don't know when he's going to hit that. He's also uh, the consummate all-court player. He can rush. He can serve and volley. He can rush at any time. Or He can grind from the baseline and do these amazing backhand to backhand rallies or forehand to forehand rallies. And you just don't know what's coming next. So it's like watching an adventure movie every time he plays a point.
1: It's a perfect way to put it. He has the power that we've seen. He moves at an ultra elite level. But yeah, it's the mind that he uses too. And knowing geometrically how to use every angle of the court to his advantage and keep his opponent off their, off their toes and just out of it. I know Rafael Nadal won 16 titles as a teenager, and that record might not ever be broken in my lifetime. Carl Alcaraz looks like the most complete team we've seen. Was that a fair statement to say? Like his game is just so complete, there's still room to grow. But like we were just talking about, he does pretty much everything at a high level.
2: Absolutely spot on, Mitch. I can't think of a major weakness. Now, there are some people that say that his serve, which is if you look at the ATP rankings, he his serve ranks high in the major categories. Some people say his serve could get even better because he's only 19. And as you mentioned, Rafael Nadal, His serve improved. Djokovic's serve improved over time. So maybe that's an area where he could get even scary better. But right now, you're right, he is the most complete player that we have.
1: Well, I'm glad we're doing this podcast on a Thursday morning as we record this, because last night's match was rained out. He's going to play Taylor Fritz for the first time in their respective careers today, which should be a good match. And Taylor Fritz has been handling the expectations and the pressure of being the number one American for a little bit of time now. He's been doing very well. Amy, we always talk about ceilings and, you know, weapons and things like that, but it got me thinking with Fritz because Alcaraz is just the toughest challenge right now in the field, but... The baseline game, the other side of that argument, I had to look. Fritz hasn't really gotten beat like handled in a long time. He's been competitive in just about every match he's played for the last calendar year. What do you think it is about his game? What do you see with what he does? We know the serve and some of the weapons that makes him competitive and in the fight in all of these matches.
2: It's often said about Americans serving a forehand, serving a forehand, he's definitely got the serve in the mm-hmm. forehand um, elite, like maybe the best in the world at, at those two particular weapons. So there's two schools of thought. You either continue making your weapons super, super dominant and play that way and lean into who you are. Or, as Paul Anacone has said, who is on his coaching staff, let's start to work on the volley because of his wingspan and, yeah. and because of the inherent skills that he has. So I think, I, I was just looking at his stats, like how much has he come in? He really hasn't. He's stayed at the baseline. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, mm-hmm. he's leaning into the baseline. So this that's why this is such an interesting matchup. Yeah. Who Who is going to come out of this one um, playing to their strengths?
1: That would, and, and all due respect to Carl, so it, this would be really shocking slash unbelievably impressive if he just handled Taylor Fritz today because no one, including the big three, have done that in the last year. Uh, that said... I've seen Paul around. I haven't quartered him yet. I just haven't been like, what's the game plan? Because I know there's something going on here. But I'm excited for that one. Tommy Paul played about as well as he could have, and it wasn't enough to take a set. So this match is good. Uh, Another player that I do want to get your take on, I know as we're going to the younger generation, but Yannick Sinner has really been doing all the right things and elevating his game. We knew he was one of the guys of this next generation, Amy, but what's impressed me was just from Indian Wells to Miami. He plays Carlos, plays pretty well, loses, has a set point in the first set, loses in straights. The first thing he says is, i got to serve better. And here we are in Miami, and he's serving much better. So that is fixing a weakness, fixing a deficiency at such a young age. I think Yannick Sinner's leaps just from tournament to tournament need to be stated properly.
2: I think you're right. And I think he's among the you know top ten in the world. He's one of the hardest workers. And listening to Jim Courier on the air yesterday, I heard him discuss exactly how Center is going about his preparation, and uh, he's not you know he's doing the normal amount in the gym, um, but he's really doing a lot of his fitness and preparation on the court. Mm-hmm. So they've uh, they've really uh, buttoned down. And and then I heard Sinner say that um, nobody on his team right now has an ego. They're all on the same page. It's like a train moving in the mm-hmm. same direction. So he's also you know certainly uh, among the top five among you know the the top players that are left in yeah. this tournament. He's certainly a contender.
1: I think he could be, after Alcaraz, that next up generation. He could be the next guy there in the pecking order. And I know there's a human element, too. He had match points against Alcaraz in the U.S. Open. If he would have won that match, he probably would have been the betting favorite to win the tournament. So I think there had to be a little bit of an adjustment period to get over that. But he's done a good job, and yeah, I'm with you. He just strikes the ball so clean. And that's you know often overlooked. We talk about different strategies and skill sets, but... On the backhand and the forehand, you don't really see much of a drop off with Yannick.
2: He's also a player who has at times um, challenged Djokovic. So, you know, it, it, anyone who can hang with Novak <laughs> is somebody to watch.
1: Yeah, and and, and it's a hundred percent true. I, I do have to bring up because not just because he's a colleague and doing so well, but the Chris Eubank story has been amazing too to make the yeah. quarterfinals uh, yeah. from qualifying. And I love the fact that he's open about what his dad said, just good luck, you know, make it out of the first round if you can. And now he's (laughs) all the way into the quarterfinals, into the top 100 by all accounts. And I can vouch for this personally, a very good guy and very hardworking and well deserving. But he's got, you know, this has been a Cinderella story for sure, but he's got a lot of game to go with what he's done. If you just look at him as a tennis player, Amy, he's improved mightily in the last year and a half.
2: It is so fun to watch him play and I have like a little working theory sometimes that the smartest players struggle the hardest because they're thinking so much out there and we know especially from his work on Tennis Channel Mm. how smart the guy is so I've often wondered like is how does Chris like wrestle with his own thoughts on the tennis court and you know it's Chris versus Chris and who's getting the better and it's wonderful to see in this tournament just how calm he is and and how sort of single train thought he is on the court and um, it's really been one of my favorite things to see this tournament.
1: You work at Tennis Channel, you see things differently, and then you go on a run. Taylor Townsend doubles U.S. Open, so I think that's the secret. Just keep coming here and you know getting a chance to look at it. But uh, in all seriousness, too, again, congrats to Chris. College tennis still doing strong. Sarundalo, who had all these points to defend, and everyone's like, what's going to happen to his ranking back in the quarterfinals or better, and another college guy. So I I think that's something to be proud of, too. The college game is... uh, really making waves on the pro level for the first time in a couple of decades. I think it's as deep as it's been.
2: It's not anymore just you reach that age and you make the decision, either I'm going to be a professional tennis player or I'm going to college and I'm going to have someone else pay for my education and then I will – go sell sell real estate or go to the stock market or go Mm -hmm. on to my career, now you have a choice. Mm -hmm. And if you want to work under a really good top flight division one coach and and the women too, Mm -hmm. you can make that choice and and still make your way over to the pro tour.
1: Development's been outstanding because a lot of these guys and girls didn't even play one or even two singles when they were in college and they're just doing amazing things at the pro level. the most consistent player outside of you know, Novak and Carlos recently, and that's Neil Medvedev. A lot to be said about him, his attitude, his hilarious comments, but from your, <laughs> from your side, there was always this debate of, was it a confidence thing? Was it a part of his game that needed to be adjusted? Was he figured out? Now he's back on a roll, had had 119 matches in a row before Carlos got him in the Indian Wells final. What have you seen out of his game? Did he adjust? Is it a purely confidence thing? What has he done to put himself back in this position as one of the hardcore guys to beat?
2: I think he has been studying Novak Djokovic and saying, okay, how do I win multiple slams? What are the processes that Novak has done? And one thing that Novak has always done is tinkered with his game. Not content to just play the skills I have and make them better I'm going to learn other aspects of the game so I did find out in Miami that uh, Medvedev was having his coach feed him dead ball volleys Mm. so in other words he's just standing at the net and and it's not a live ball his coach well that's something that we do in our, you know, <laughs> beginner and intermediate um, when we're really just learning volley skills and practicing them over and over and over. So what does that tell you? Medvedev is working on the volley and he should. He's called the octopus. With that wingspan, um, I'd like to see him taking that next next level. And I think low key, that gives you more confidence when you know that, look, I'm, I'm not content to just stand back here and do what I do. I'm going to see my tennis journey as a journey and I'm going to work other skills, learn new things and continually try to improve.
1: Yeah. It's about riding the wave and also improving and not just staying in neutral. The big three are the best example of that. They all worked on different aspects of their game and got better as a result, but there was a confidence thing for sure. And there was the fact that he never had his rhythm. He had some pretty tough draws too, that I think get overlooked last year getting curious early in a few times, but Medvedev's game and how he just brings out the best, especially in Miami. Like all the stuff said about Indian Wells and the courts, which, you know, he could be a little dramatic. I think he's even admitted that. But obviously this style, this court fits his game a lot better. And I'm not shocked in the slightest that he just picked up where he left off. If he makes the final, even without winning the tournament, we're looking at five straight hard court tournaments where he get to a final. That's about as good as it gets.
2: What's this thing that he said about hardcore specialist i that has to be a joke because <laughs> <Yeah>. no <laughs> yeah. you're you're too good for yeah. that like you, you're gonna go to wimbledon and really contend and even on clay so i guess that was a joke but um i hopefully he didn't really mean yeah. that um but i i do like as you pointed out i do like that um he kind of shook off the indian wells thing and the the whole slow slow mm-hmm. court and, and all that um and has made a good run here
1: hardcore Specialists like yeah he gets to the fourth round of the French Open or quarterfinals and it's a a disappointment that's that's how good he is. had
2: to be a joke
1: the last thing on the men and it's I guess not you know more of a downer but just a concern that I've had recent results because I'm a huge fan of his game but do you have concerns like I do with where Felix is at Felix OJ Elliott's team because I'm I'm at a point where you know he hasn't had the big breakthrough and I worry more about him in what I would call winnable situations. He's had a few of these tournaments where he's had, you know, a result leading into it. He's had some expectations and just hasn't gotten the job done. So I feel like he's on the cusp. He's been there. But we know, Amy, that sometimes men or women, they just don't take that next step because it's so hard. Where are you at with Felix's game and why he can't just break through to that next level?
2: It's so funny that you mentioned that because it was like a day or two ago, I started looking at his activity and what he's done recently. And I thought, is he going to be one of these guys like Tomas Burdick, who Mm -hmm. is always in the quarterfinals, semifinals, even the finals, but he just doesn't break through. But he's so consistent um, week in and week out. Or is he really going to... Um, break through and start dominating every opponent. And I don't know. Um, I think he's still tinkering and that's okay because he's young Mm -hmm. and um, he's another very, very smart player who I think will figure it out. He'll find out the right mix. Of course, I'm biased. I like analytics. I like stats. Um, I think it would be great if he hired somebody, if he's not doing that already to um, really look at where he's winning his points Mm -hmm. and scout, Mm -hmm. you know, get specific game plans for certain opponents.
1: Yeah, there's a lot to like about everything that he does. It just hasn't come together at the elite level. We've known about him for a while. Again, like the Coco Golf effect, super young still, so time to figure it out. Uh, so good luck to Felix on his tennis journey. Switching to the women now. Before we get to who's still left in the field, you know, we were talking about this going in, like, wow, it's consolidated at the top. The power is this new big three. Well, Iga didn't play the event. Sablanka gets upset yesterday by Sonia Cristea. And I have to ask you: Is parody kind of just rearing its head a little bit? Are we starting to no. kind of see? No, okay.
2: <laughs> just when I was like all excited about this prospect of <laughs> these three elite players, yeah. and, and then you know it's it's um I you cannot forget about Jessica Pagula because week in and week out her consistency is amazing. And she fights and- too;
1: like she is a legit fighter, and I don't use that term loosely. And just throw it out to everyone but she's won some matches with what i would, wouldn't even call her b level and that's a huge testament that's very champion like where she has a good team david with a heck of a coach where the Potapova match she had no business winning and she finds a yep. way to do it and that shows a lot about the character of the player
2: 10 out of 10 on the grittiness scale just outside, you know, in, in terms of like her whole persona and things that are going on with her, I remember saying, I don't know if I said it on your podcast a couple of years ago, I would love to see her engage more with her fan base and, and fans of women's tennis and kind of break out of the shell of who she is. And I don't know if it's that she's around professional sports because of the Her father owns the Buffalo Bills and she understands it. She has started to do just that. She's posting fun things on social media that peel back the surface and we can see who this person is. And um, she's picking up some good endorsements. She's got good people around her, like you said, and it's just really good for the game. Um, But in, in terms of on the court, you're right. I mean, she's exceptional when it comes to just the grit and hanging in there in matches
1: did you th- and, and I completely agree uh one of the names we mentioned and she's having a great year but you just chalk that up yesterday as uh Sablanka having a bad match just a bad day at the office because there there are times when you watch her play where she's the best player on the world and I don't even think it's a particular argument to be made but then there's other times where something's a little off and the first serve's missing by six feet and you see a double double fault coming from a mile away where it seems like there is some pressure, there's some mental issues going on there. Did you just chalk yesterday off to a bad day as she continues to have a, a very successful 2023?
2: I watched a lot of that match and I, was, I noticed that she was grimacing somewhat uh, after serving, but I don't know if it was something's bothering her a little injury or if it's like a mental grimace Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like um i don't know she seems uh, that it seems odd to me because um i i thought she was in tip-top shape And I thought she was serving really well and and really had command of her second serve. In terms of of Cristea, I I have a little interesting anecdote. So a friend of mine is involved in um, funding some lower level players and uh, Cristea's first round match was against a player who had received a wild card named Fernanda Gomez. And he wanted me to do a little story on her and get, get to know her. So I met up with Fernanda. Fernanda had set points against Kristea, and in the first round match like Kristea almost let that match get away from her that's how thin the margins are in women's tennis because if, if Fernanda manages to win that match then Sabalenka yeah. is not playing Kristea, and and the whole yeah. domino is is different. But yeah. right now there's there is mm-hmm. a lot of parity, and the margins yeah. are very very small.
1: It's Kerber having match points against her in Australia the year she beat Serena at Stan. Dan Evans match points. He went to U.S. Open. It's the margins are crazy. But for Kristea, I mean, great game plan executed perfectly. What a, what a resurgence! Like this is. She has no titles in her 20s, and now in her 30s, she has two top five wins in this tournament. Like that doesn't happen. Like maybe the maybe the story of the I tournament. Love it. Maybe the story is the Eubanks's and the and the Cristeas. That's this year's Miami Open legacy.
2: She had titles in her teens <laughs> yeah. and thirties, yeah. none in her 20s. I love 20s it. Off. I love it. It's a great story. You know what? Go for some in mm-hmm. your 40s. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I love stories like that. But you know what? She's got the goods. She's still yes. a power hitter, even at her age. So and and I think now she has that experience behind her where she knows how to calm herself down um, on court.
1: At this point in her career and how the field is with injuries, with upsets, with everything, is Elena Rybakina just assuming that top dog alpha role because I, it's very machine-like. Like, it's, it's, it's very professional, how she goes about her business, how she handles big moments. The emotion, if there is any, is kept within. It's, it's kind of nice to see, but Elena Rybakina just keeps going out there and winning matches and doing it in a professional manner.
2: Yeah, and you know, um, Caroline Wozniacki brought up something really good yesterday uh, during one of the matches she was calling it might have been Sabalenka's match that when you win a Grand Slam you have all these expectations on you and it's actually hard to go out there there's this this period of time where it's very hard to go out there and deal with the level of expectations that you now have on yourself and that others have on you so it may be that sabalinka is dealing with that but Rybakina. Doesn't seem to be dealing with that sophomore period of expectations that uh, Caroline was talking about. So, isn't that interesting, it her is. mentality? And it's such a young age. And, and, you know, we've seen what happened to Radicano. She just hasn't reached that level after winning the slam. But Rebakana is continuing to play really well and not let anything bother her. She's an interesting story that I <laughs> want to keep following.
1: There was a moment, and I know it's one match and things happen, but she was playing uh, Trevisan and she was up a break and got broken on like a double dead lead cord, like just terrible bounce. No emotion, just went back out and at the changeover broke her again, won the set. And I was just thinking, I'm like, there, there is just, uh, there's, it's ice cold is what it is with her. And that's going to suit her well going forward. I hope we get to maybe not a big three, but like a big six or seven. You can get Pagul, you can get Coco. Someone can rise up the rankings. Uh, Petra Kavitova is still in this tournament playing very well, and she looks very comfortable. So I think there is no shortage of depth, but I'm with you in the sense that I want to see some consolidation at the, at the very top.
2: Well, maybe Rebakana will win this. Um, she's a story that I am definitely tracking. I want to yeah. know more. I want to know how she practices. I want to <laughs> know what was the decision to go to Kazakhstan? How yeah. did that all play out? Um, how come your super... sister's
1: got all the uh, energy? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. 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 Super exciting yeah. player.
1: Uh, and we do have to say it. It was unfortunate what happened to Bianca Andrescu. That was just a sad situation with everything. And then injuries are part of sports. I get that you know, it's going to happen, you know, there's a lot of, you know, sympathy to go around for players that get hurt. What's very unfortunate for her was the history that she had, and also this was some of her best tennis, beating Radakanyu, beating Sakari, going through, and, you know, Alexandrova is a good player, but she had a chance in that match too, and, you know, we hope she's back uh, in form, but that's always been the issue. The game's never been a question for me. It's just, can she stay healthy enough to make another run at this?
2: Yeah, and I I got to talk to her a couple times in Miami before this happened, and and fortunately she's reported on Twitter that it's um, torn ligaments, you know it's nothing like an Achilles tear she's not going to need surgery, it does not appear Um, so hopefully she will come back. And and you're right, she was in such a good place mentally. And that's what she was talking a lot about. Um, I asked her specifically about her return game, because she was returning um, second serves very well, high, at a high percentage winning a high percentage of those. And you know, I was like, what's your what's your strategy? What's your game plan? And her answer to me was, there really isn't a game plan. I'm just feeling the ball mm-hmm. really well right now. And then that injury <laughs> happened. But hopefully, Knockwood um, she will come back and, and pick up right where she left off.
1: We hope so. We, we definitely hope so. And uh, just the last note on the women here. Do you have any concern, worry even, with Igus Viantic having to defend last year? Not played Miami, didn't win Indian Wells. She's going into the clay where she's very comfortable. But a lot of points to defend there. Do you think the pressure might be a factor she looks to duplicate just a, a very transcendent season?
2: So she's dealing with just a tiny bit of an injury. I looked at the transcript for exactly what she said about the injury, and she's like, look, this is not a big deal. This is precautionary. But I do think she needs to manage her schedule really well during clay season because it's a grind mm-hmm. building up to Roland Garros, and you want to make sure you're peaking yeah, and, and there's there's new kids in town, and she's been beaten by Rebakana now twice. So, um, I, am I concerned? No, because I still think she has maybe the best forehand in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see her improve her serve, but Iga is Iga, yeah. and um, she's still great
1: on the clay too. It's not, I mean, not Nadal level, but it's that's her most comfortable surface. It'd be the place yeah. where I have the least concern. Uh, I would like to see against Bravacan and maybe Lankin these top players, maybe more of a plan B and an adjustment in the moment. These are nitpicking things, obviously, but uh, not really concerned there as well. A couple more things before we wrap up here with Amy Lundy on Tennis Channel Inside In. Got to ask you about some of the players, some of the guys that aren't in this event, and uh, we'll go with this unfortunately or fortunately we'll see what happens with Rafael Nadal in Monte Carlo do you think he will be playing this event I know that report was a little grim but I don't know I mean any injury at this age is very very cautious to be managing and it sounds like Nadal might not be a sure thing and will not be a sure thing for the Monte Carlo Masters
2: the latest I have heard from a source is that he's not going to play Monte Carlo and that He's not feeling great right now in terms of his body, um, but that he is going mm-hmm. uh, to try to um, enter the clay season at some point. Um, I I That's just, good.
1: I, th- I, I don't want to – I've always said, like, as long as he enters – whatever happens earlier or later, it's like if he enters clay, Monte Carlo is event one on his calendar, on his peak form
2: exactly so, like we have heard before from Rafael Nadal I'm not feeling so great and then he it's just wins the French a r- Open in straight right, sets yeah right. exactly
1: yeah I I hope he's able to at least have his body give him a chance not if he loses he loses and that's sports that's you know father time that's all those things but yeah it's it's not good to know that his body's still not feeling well and at his age you wonder if you know how many more opportunities you don't want to speculate on when he's not gonna be playing anymore but we know it's not gonna last forever
2: right um I just I I it's so funny like I've been dreaming about Federer lately go, <laughs> go figure like okay. missing him missing his game and and this morning I woke up and and in my dream Roger was telling me that his arm was hurting <laughs> and and uh I woke up and I picked up my phone and I saw the new ad that he cut with Trevor Noah it's really cute if you haven't seen it it's for tourism Uh and and trains in Switzerland and now I want to take that train ride um and I I, it's like I'm still not over Mm -hmm. Roger retiring and and I don't want to now enter into having to deal with Rafa retiring so hopefully hopefully he can uh, rest up and get with his medical team and and play some more.
1: I, uh, I don't want to live that way either, so we'll see. I also think, I mean, I, I'd take that train too. I just don't know if Roger's going to be on it if I book it, so we'll see. <laughs>
2: Maybe that nice older lady who paid for their tickets Maybe. will be on her.
1: <laughs> Maybe. I, I don't know if you saw the post too. I mean, is there a possibility that we could get a, a Delpo return?
2: Yes, I saw that, and I saw the exact quote from Delpo, and he made it seem like, look, I'm going to start training and just see what happens. How great would that be?
1: Yeah, that's one where he had his career cut short. He's on my short list of not just tennis players, but athletes that I just think didn't get a fair shake. And I know he won one major, but he had a level that was, you know, if not big three, that next very next tier right below. So uh, and all accounts, just the nicest guy. So I just want to see him play and just not have to deal with the pain that he had to deal with. That would be uh, amazing to see. And then the last thing I wanted to ask you, because we are getting ready for Novak Djokovic's return on the clay. (laughs) I wonder if, and and I don't know that he would ever say this publicly, but you got to think, right, Amy, that this is like a a great recon study session for how to deal with this new kid on the block, Carlos Alcarez. I feel like Djokovic is working on his own game, but he is working on ways to develop that elusive blueprint to how do you deal with Carlos
2: Alcarez. And you can bet he is using this time to become a fine-tuned machine and studying everything Carlos Mm. Alcaraz. Mitch, this is developing into a clay court showdown between Titans because Novak has got a jump start on Carlos training on clay and uh, Carlos is going deep in these tournaments. So it it is really shaping up to be um, something to watch this clay court season. I am super excited to see how Djokovic enters and uh, how Carlos continues to play with the change of surface.
1: Last year in Madrid, they played one of the best matches of the year. Djokovic in form, but not maybe not in match form you could argue that I have with your co-host Gil Gross a little bit <laughs> um, but he hadn't really seen Alcaraz before gave him three hours Alcaraz wins you know now Djokovic gets to return the favor study make adjustments and then Alcaraz can adjust on that I'm just so excited for this potential rivalry because one guy wants the throne believes it's time the other guy's like I'm not giving it up yet you're gonna have to take it from me So let's Gil
2: loves to talk about that match. (laughs) He has brought it up, and it it was a great one. Yeah, yeah, like more of that, right? Mm -hmm. We as fans, we want to see more of that. But you know, Alcaraz has really developed since then. And you know what? What what's crazy is so is Novak. Yeah. And I like that Novak is rested and has been working out on clay. It's it's a real mystery as to what's going to happen if and when these two meet again.
1: And even Alcaraz has shown what Djokovic has. Both super nice guys in dealing with the media and dealing with fans, but I mean, they're killers out there. <laughs> that's yeah. gonna be a that's gonna be a great match. Well, Amy Wendy, really appreciate talking to you again. You know, we we follow you on the Three podcasts. We always check out your stuff on Tennis Connected. You're always more than welcome here. Uh, thanks for the good insight. Thanks for always being a great guest here on Tennis Channel Inside In.
2: Thank you, Mitch. So great to chat with you as always.
1: Huge thanks to Amy Lundy. You can follow her again on Tennis Connected, as well as the three podcasts and other many, many platforms that she writes and covers tennis for. A tremendous guest. Always a blast to talk with her. We'll see how this tournament shakes out. Now we go to Noah Eagle, the young broadcaster who's accomplished so much, called sports in the Olympics. Works for an NBA team. as a radio voice. Calling NFL games at such a young age. Noah Eagle is very grounded, very humble about what he's done. Still has a lot of room to grow, in his opinion, and to improve. We talk about a lot of things, his career, the sport of tennis, the Americans in tennis, some players he likes, and uh, other opportunities coming his way in the broadcasting field. It's Snowy Eagle now on Tennis Channel Inside Welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios, Miami Open, still in full effect. Special guest now, second time on the show. Maybe the busiest guy in Los Angeles, West LA, (laughs) but it's Noah Eagle, fresh off the Clippers, fresh off calling matches and doing TC Live at Tennis Channel. Noah, thanks for coming back on the show.
3: So, I don't know, do you watch, have you heard of the show The Boys? Yeah. Okay, do you watch The Boys? I've heard
1: of it. I'm adjacent to The Boys. Okay, yeah, fair.
3: <laughs> so there's a character on there, M.M. Yeah. Yeah. Can I call you M.M.? You can call can it. Go, yeah,
1: you can. I'll give you that permission MM. for sure. This is a pleasure. You got second to, time's second time. Yeah, charm. two-timers club. We'll get you a jacket and everything. Is that how it you works? Know? Is yeah. it like the Masters? It you is. get a green jacket? What well, is it? Well, you were like the OG, like, small room. We were talking about this, like, before we upgraded, like, just when the show was starting. So, yeah, we were we're really just, you know, onward and upward. Yeah, and I don't think people going. got
3: to see us the first time when, when we did this, but we were basically cheek to cheek. It was, we got yeah. real close real You get fast. to
1: know. You get to know your you know your fellow employees together so that's good yeah for sure um so i mean just starting here because you know in the last two years it's been crazy but how jam-packed has it been for you you've taken on more assignments and i didn't know that was physically possible but we can get into all the stuff the olympics the different sports but how has it been just managing your schedule just adding new roles to the arsenal
3: Yeah, I mean, it's been fun because I love all the things that I do, but challenging is probably the right word for it. And especially since the last time we chatted, it was still in the sense of COVID and Mm -hmm. and things weren't really to the level that they were supposed to be or where you expect them to be in terms of traveling all the time. Right. And so you add that factor in (laughs) and it completely changes everything. So I love the the travel. That's why I got into this is because (laughs) I want to be at the events. (laughs) And so that part has been exciting and adventurous and getting to see places maybe I haven't gone before has been great, but different.
1: Yeah, it's a good point because we were talking, it was right around the time, it was I think just post-NBA bubble and you were talking about exciting to get on the road and timing is everything, right? Because you start your career at a point when you're not really traveling and then it's like, all right, here we go, we're back on the road. I wonder if one of the challenges you face is jumping sport to sport. Is it time, is it As hard as it looks on the outside when you go from tennis to Clippers and all the stuff in between, is it hard to balance and kind of get in the role and get in the zone? So you
3: know what's funny is – especially considering I do the Clippers on radio by myself. Mm-hmm. So most people that talk to themselves for a living, <laughs> or not for a living, but in general, get labeled as crazy. If you do it for a living, you get paid. If so you just I'm do it outside. You yeah, just if you're crazy. just talking to yourself, yeah. you go, oh, uh, son, avoid that young man over yeah. there. Try to stay away. Steer yeah. clear of his area. But for me, it's, oh, yeah, we want to hear more. However, I'm talking so much over the course of that time that, then I go over and do some TV assignments and people say, well, isn't it hard to, to try to turn that part of your brain off? And I'm not saying this just because we're doing the podcast and we're at TC right now, but working here has been the best education for me of how to go almost to both extremes. Because right. during a tennis match, I'm not talking during points, it's yeah. really only filling in the blanks. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm hosting the show, same deal. I'm laying yeah. out for most of the highlights, letting, if I'm working like this week with, with Paul and Chanda, letting them take the yeah. reins and and being more than happy to do so. So the balancing act is what makes it fun for me, is is using different parts of my brain and trying to learn as much as possible, too. Because, you know, when I started here, I, I think my tennis knowledge was very limited. I was a fan. I think we talked about mm-hmm. it to a certain degree. Went to the U.S. Open every year. Loved random players that maybe people didn't love (laughs) to the same level like alex dalgopolov but either way i wasn't to the level of someone who knew the top 100 players inside and out and now after years of doing this and now following along with the sport as well i just feel like my knowledge of the game has grown on both the men's and women's side and that helps for when i do parachute in i at least have a better base for sure that i can work off of that you haven't dropped like but I might gotta have it like Kawhi Leonard's name in the middle of a tennis match. So that's no, good. but listen, there's a funny story with that where yeah. when I was in college, so at Syracuse, it's competitive to try to get on the air, mm-hmm. and especially to do play-by-play, and you have to create these tapes, you know, make these tapes in practice to get yeah. good at it, and then eventually get cleared to go on the air. And so, heading into my sophomore year, I all summer basically, I just did a drive of a game right. from a Jets game, because I was a Jets fan growing up. I just did a different drive every day from the Jets season the year before, and Ryan Fitz- Fitzpatrick was their quarterback. Okay, So <laughs> every day I'm in my phone saying, Fitzpatrick takes the snap, drops back, rolls to his right, <laughs> fires on the run, it's caught at the 50-yard line <laughs> by Brandon Marshall. Fitzpatrick takes the snap, hands it off, <laughs> ivory up the middle. Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick. Yeah, And I get to do my first co- uh, not college, but high school football game in the area. And I believe on the first play, I said, and Fitzpatrick takes a snap, (laughs) and the kid's name was Jones. Like, it was not even close. So, yeah, yeah, it happens. But, no, I've refrained
1: so far, which is been good for me. That's good. And I know you've done radio and TV already at this stage, so that's kind of the balance, too, is knowing which role and knowing to talk a little more, obviously, because you're just by yourself on the radio. I do have to ask you about last night, though, because it was brought to my attention— you were trying to kind of moonlighting or double dipping at the same time, two games at once. You see like Gonzaga was going on during the yeah. Clippers game. Was that you just feeling it out and saying, you know, I'm just going to go for this?
3: Yeah, I, I just, whatever I feel in the moment is kind <laughs> yeah. of how it works. You know, if you've listened to my broadcast, you hear every quarter when there's 3.05 left to play, I shout out Pitbull because <laughs> I just like Pitbull. And I think <laughs> yeah. people, people have, hey, it, yeah. it's to the point now where people have seen me in public and they just go, shout out Pitbull. And I'm like, what is happening right now? And then I, of course, say, dale, yeah. dale. But of course, yeah. Yeah, naturally. And maybe timber. But all of this to say, yeah, I think in the moment when, when you're taught as a broadcaster is you want to make sure your audience is informed. Right. And I know that if they're listening to me, they're not watching or listening necessarily to that game. And we're in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. UCLA is on our sister station. So that's maybe, a good point. Yeah. You know, maybe they go to us thinking that it's going to be the UCLA game. It's a critical juncture in the game. It was on in front of me, and so I, I had enough time in between plays where I could look down, see the play there, yeah. look back up, see the play there, and it was fun. It was a fun moment. I think they, everybody around me at least got a kick out of it.
1: I don't know what it is about UCLA and Gonzaga. Like, they're just Fine. destined to just, you know, explode on the scene and do everything. Uh, well, at this point, you know, you've had a couple of years under your belt now. Are you kind of seeing yourself as more of a, I don't want to say vet, but kind of peer in the, in the broadcasting circles? Getting
3: there, yeah. getting there. I think the experience certainly plays a factor, but I am still fairly young and I know that. And I never want to look at myself as someone who's seasoned yeah. necessarily, because if I look at it that way, I'm going to, I feel like I'll get complacent. And that's the last right. thing I want. I've always said, and something my dad taught me early, which is no matter how many games you've banked, how many matches you've called, how many shows you've hosted, whatever, there's always room for improvement. Yeah. And you're never a finished product. And he said, that he wasn't a finished product. He said, Bob Costas isn't a finished product. Marv Albert, he started listing all these names. He goes, if the second that they get better, or they stop getting better, rather, is the second that they should retire. And the mm-hmm. same goes for me, and the mm-hmm. same goes for him, and any, anybody else. So, you know, I, I, I see myself as someone who's got more experience right. and can at least utilize that to my advantage for situations like last night. But I also see myself still as the young guy who is yeah. always going to see hey, I got something to prove. I, I got to show everybody what I've got.
1: Right. Success is give, Success basically gives you another opportunity to Correct. keep getting better and keep it going. It does seem like, and, and with the reps that you've gotten, getting the chance to call 82 games for the Clippers plus some, I mean, what – the standings are a mess. I don't even try to look at the NBA. Yeah, tied for the, fourth right yeah. now
3: in the West. Two games <laughs>
1: above the 12 seed. Lose, they like. lose two
3: in a row. They're, they're out of the playoffs entirely,
1: yeah. yeah. But getting the chance to call games for a team, and it seems like you guys, among NBA teams, I'd say, I'd venture to say, are kind of tighter, kind of like a close knit circle. Not that I know much about other teams, but I get the sense that that's not the case for every uh, franchise.
3: No, I think that is a credit to that front office. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's no different than any other sport or any other team. You know, the reason I think that Paul Anacone was such a successful coach in the tennis world is his manner and, and mm-hmm. the type of person he is. And that's really any team aspect. So, you know, tennis, obviously, individual sport. But your team means so much and how you handle your day-to-day, how you handle yourself mentally during a match, physically, how you're preparing and then recovering. I think the same goes for a legitimate team, a basketball team or a football team. And so from the Clippers' perspective, I think a lot of credit to the front office Mm -hmm. who puts the team together. Because what they did is said, we want guys that fit. We don't want guys that maybe... This group stays together and this group stays together. We want a cohesive group. And so I think they've done that really well. They've planted the two stars in Kawhi Leonard and Mm -hmm. Paul George, and then they've basically surrounded them with skill sets and personalities that are tailor-made to fit them. And so I, I think they've done a really good job
1: like your broadcast team as well. I know they do some stuff out of the same building, so it's easy to see some familiar faces, but I do have to have a gripe with uh, your coworker Jamie Maggio, for <laughs> the post where she said your face when you're excited to leave Cleveland. I thought that was a little... Ah, for me. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I love Jamie, but she could have just, you know, give me a warning before that came up. Yeah, listen, <laughs> I,
3: I will say we went to Mike Fratello's house last yeah, year, and course. I think she had the time of her life. So oh. I'm going to go back on her and say, hey, wait a second now, hold on just a second. I, I remember you with a smile grinning ear to ear last year leaving Cleveland. We're going to go
1: side note because I got to meet the czar. I have to the at best. this point. I mean, yeah, I, I got to. She hooked me up with a, like a it was almost like a free cameo, basically, of a shout out with them together. But, oh, yeah, I could go 90s Cavs, you know, oh, talk yeah. Patapico and Wesley oh, Person yeah. for days. But that's uh, that's another time. Uh, one of the things that we didn't get to talk about last year when you're two years ago when you're on the show, because I think it was right before how did the Nickelodeon opportunity come up? And and that, I mean, we've seen it now with the hockey broadcast on ESPN. This is yeah. a new counter programming. How did that even come on your radar? And what was the thought process like for you to take on that challenge?
3: Yeah, MM, it was presented to me. Yeah. It was something that, I didn't go seeking out, but if I knew about it, I would have, because I felt like it was tailor-made for me. I always said, how can I combine sports and entertainment? Mm -hmm. You know, I know last time we talked about it when uh, (laughs) there was a tournament in Kazakhstan and I did a Borat voice (laughs) on the air, right? So it's always me trying to figure out how can I blend the two worlds. And basically what (laughs) happened was I, I had this... It fell into my lap in many ways where my agent came to me and said, hey, they're yeah. looking for someone, and your name came up to them. It was recommended to them, and they were interested. So they yeah. said, go through the interview process. So, okay, mm-hmm. it's Zoom. It's during COVID. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know at the time that it wasn't just me. I just was on the impression of, okay, I'm, it's just me. I just All I have to do is impress them, and I'll get it. Or if I don't impress yeah. them, <laughs> they're going to start looking at other people. At, I didn't know that it was actually three of us that they were interviewing, And so I go in just thinking it's my job, essentially, (laughs) and saying, okay, I'm good. So what I did was, it was a woman, Paula Kaplan, who at the time worked at Nickelodeon, and she asked me at one point, it's not a requirement, but did you grow up watching the channel? And I go, oh, here's my (laughs) time to shine. (laughs) I started quoting shows. I went deep knowledge. And my knowledge was genuine because I did grow up watching the Uh channel. So I started saying, I I told this whole story about how my sister's favorite show of all time is Drake and Josh and how she had this opportunity to meet Josh Peck multiple times and she never took advantage of it and how upset she was that she then got sick when he was on campus, when she was in school and they are cracking up at the story and then now I'm doing... (laughs) <laughs> impressions of Josh Nichols, the character, like, headaches, you give me headaches. <laughs> and I'm talking about Rugrats, and then I'm talking yeah. to even Legend of the Hidden wow, Temple so and Nick Gas, and yeah. all of this. You right? went back. That's, that's no, I did. Like, Ren and Stimpy. I, I, mean, I mean, that's I,
1: prior to you being born. Like, those correct. shows were 90s legends. No, yes. that's, that's insane. Double that's insane. Dare. Double Dare, yeah. I, no,
3: I, I was just going, and because there at the time, mm-hmm. when I was growing up, there was a channel, Nick Gass. Yeah. And so that literally, it played mm-hmm. all the older shows. Mm-hmm. And so I watched Legend of the Hidden Temple. Oh, yeah. I, I watched Guts. I watched Kenan and Kel. I watched original All That. I watched yeah. Ren and Stimpy and Rugrats. And, and so I, I got to put it.
1: that in the Olympics, by the way, just the aggro
3: like race. International, yeah, international 100%, then. right? <laughs> yeah. I, can I host it? As yeah, long as I, I can mean, host it, I'm absolutely. down. Yeah, but I so I find out later, yeah. now two, three years after the fact, this is recent, that I found out that there were other candidates, mm-hmm. and the reason that they liked me so much was because I had the legitimate knowledge of the channel. Wow. And so... You just never know, and that's why I always I, I make the joke now of how parents are always like, son or daughter, turn off the TV and go do your homework. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> keep them watching that TV. Yeah. You never know what it's going to pay off one day that's because, honestly, it's one of the true. greatest things
1: I've gotten to do. It was a point last year where, uh, the where, I think it was two years ago, where the Nickelodeon game was on where I have a niece and nephew, and they were actually, you know, and I, we were watching it thinking, okay, this actually still shows you the actual game because that was my concern. Obviously wanted you and the broadcast to do well, but the fact that we didn't know what it was at first, did you have any idea of the spectacle that it would be? And what were the challenges of having to, you know, see SpongeBob on there, see a coach get slime? I think they got Emmett in the stands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did.
3: Yeah, yeah no, I think the, the first question is, is a really good one that I've gotten a lot of. Did you know it was going to turn into this? The answer is no. You have no idea what it's going to be. And it was a completely blank canvas. That's what excited Mm -hmm. us. Myself, Nate Burleson, Gabby Nevea green who's up with us in the booth. Year one, it was a young man named Lex Lumpkin, was our sideline reporter. Year two, we had young Dylan, who Uh is like the Energizer bunny. And then year three this year, we had Dylan Schefter. But for all of us at least that first year and even that second year in many ways because it still was so novel it was a blank canvas that we got to paint the whole picture and we got to determine how it was going to sound how it was going to look and Nate and I before that first year decided hey we're going to turn our phones off or not even off but just put them to the side not look at them during the broadcast we don't want to be swayed by what people are saying we don't want to look on Twitter and have someone say Mm -hmm. x and then have an impact the way we're doing the game yeah and so I remember the First year we were doing it was New Orleans hosting Chicago in the wild card game. Right, yeah, yeah. And I go to the bathroom at halftime, and my stat guy and my spotter that year turned to me, and they're like, they said, are you seeing the reaction? And I go, is it, is it good or bad? They go, you're not looking at anything? I go, no. They go, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> and I go, good? They go, the most positive reaction I've ever seen on Twitter.
1: It was, I, I, I don't know if people just expected the worst and yes. were surprised, but it would ended up, yeah, like that, if not, that was the first year and then Niners-Cowboys was the second and it was a positive reaction. I mean, you've had the fortune of timing too. You're never going to get, what was it, Patrick when Russell Wilson throws an interception. <laughs> right, like right. the timing is just everything. No,
3: I mean, yeah, you, you got to get lucky in many yeah. ways, right? So I remember the first year we did it, I just, so that was that first year we had Gabby yeah. in the booth and it was her first ever game she ever went to. <laughs> Oh. first ever football game she attended so I said during the fourth quarter it was a little bit of a blowout at that point I get into my producers here Ken Mack and I said hey do you, should we have Gabby call a play and he goes oh yeah I love that yeah. so we tear up and the play was nothing It was a penalty mm-hmm. on the play and she didn't know what to do with the penalty so the timing wasn't great so then this year he gets in my ear and he said do we think we should have Patrick call a play I go oh 100 (laughs) percent 1000 percent and we got because he ended up calling like five of them yeah and all five of them were highlights it was awesome perfect getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing a -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at blue nile can help your love sparkle just choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
1: More with no ego here on Tennis Channel Insight. And in. your, your story is very fascinating. One starting out and still just progressing up the ladder. Now back in the tennis world, I got to ask you, what's caught your eye? We're into Miami, and, and I'll lead in with this. It seems like the younger your generation even yeah. is making their move and making
3: their play here. Even some younger than me, most younger <laughs> yeah. than me, which is which is something I'm starting to get used to across all sports. There, isn't that yeah. well? Yeah. I was gonna say, isn't that a <laughs> yeah. weird time in your life where for most of your life you go, oh, these guys are they're grown men or women, and uh, oh, it's
1: when the it's when the I don't want to say idol, but the premier like Feder. Right. He goes, it's like, wow, like that's yeah, it. No, like, I don't know if I'll done. ever
3: put an athlete on that pedigree before because I'm kind of older than one. Correct. Yeah, yeah. It's a very different yeah. feel of how it goes. But, you know, I we were talking about our good friend and colleague, Gil Gross, before the show. And I think the last time, I'm not sure if, if it was already at this point yet, but when we talked about the, the tennis world, I had mentioned Yannick Center and how much of a fan I was of his. And mm. at the time, he was 18, let's mm-hmm. say. And I, I felt like he had what it took to to reach a mountaintop and to get to that level. And, and I still do in many ways. But I remember Gil saying to me, yeah, but he's not as good as Carlos Alcaraz. Yeah. And I go, and I go, and this was when Carlos was maybe 16 or 17. <laughs> and I said, what are you talking about, man? Have you seen what Sinner can do yeah. on the run? Like <laughs> his counterattack and his ability to just give you pace right back yeah. on a full open stance. And, and Gil goes, trust me, man. Trust me. <sighs> And sure yeah, enough, sure yeah. enough, now every time the two of them play, Gil has to tell you, Gil reaches out, he goes, so are you ready? And I, I have apologized. Well, I don't want to split the difference because
1: he's right. Like, he's not as good as Carlos Alcraz, but... We're not at a point where I'm going to say Alcaraz wins every tournament for sure, and I think Sinner is. You could argue the guy that could challenge him the most. I so think if they he played is. every like out of ten times, maybe he gets some three. Sure, that's still you know. It's, and again, it goes something. back to the timing, right? Yeah.
3: You know, for for Taylor Fritz last year at Indian mm-hmm. Wells, the big breakthrough against one of the big three, and mm-hmm. especially against Nadal, happens to be in the final. So, yeah, it's about yeah. your timing of if you're going to win one out of the 10, you want the one to be in the biggest of all those matches. Yeah. So, 100%. And I think I'm excited about that duo and that rivalry yeah. because every time they play, it's classic. It's I mean, unbelievable.
1: Yeah. And even center, I mean, he lost in straight sets, Alcres, but, but had a set two point. It was awesome close. Awesome sets.
3: Yes. They were epic he's there. sets.
1: I mean, he's, he's as close to him as anybody. You know, outside of obviously Djokovic still dominating. I like the American sure. side of things for the men. The depth is is a I don't want to say an all-time high, but yeah, as it's high right as there. it's been. Will the world beaters come through? Taylor Fritz has that spot. Tiafo and Tommy Paul keep progressing. Ben Shelton's on the rise. So there are some guys to maybe in Sebastian Quarter with the wrist injury, there's some guys to monitor that maybe that 20-year
3: slam drought can kind of come to an end. Yeah, so I, I'm glad that you mentioned Tommy Paul because it was somebody for the last couple of years that has, had really intrigued me. And last year doing some Davis Cup in mm-hmm. Reno, seeing him in person for the first time, like up close. Because, you know, we, when we went to Roland Garros, I think mm-hmm. he was on a, a side court when I was calling one of his matches. Yep. So I didn't get to see him up close. But the athleticism is impressive. You know, he, he does have that natural ability and now he's starting to put it together and stay healthy. Yeah. So I'm excited about if he can continue to build on what he's already had. And the confidence is pretty high right now. But Francis Tiafoe, to me, is, is the one where I look at him and I say, okay, if, if an American is going to take the tennis world by storm, yeah. if an American is going to take over a tournament like we saw in <laughs> yeah. New York uh-huh. getting into the semifinal, it's going to be him because of the entertainment factor. Oh that yeah. he brings.
1: You don't want to discredit or disparage any other tennis player, but Tiafoe has star power. For sure. If the game gets to an elite, elite level, which it's pretty close to now, watch out. But he is the guy that your sisters, your friends that don't even follow tennis are like, oh, how's Tiafo doing? And
3: that's a that's a short list. And, and so you, you had, it's something that you asked in the beginning here was about how I do all the different sports. Mm-hmm. And the reason I like Francis, and I know that the tennis purist isn't going to love a Nick Kyrgios, but the reason that I think he's important for the game mm-hmm. is because of the willingness to get into it, the willingness Mm -hmm. to invite a crowd into it. And I think now more than ever because of phone, you know, there's people on a match sitting down, looking at their phone. He's someone that you're not going to want to take your eyes off the court. And I think that's incredibly imperative to keep pushing the game forward as well. What do you think
1: about his comments recently to kind of, I was going to actually ask you about that because that upset some people, not the first time. It's funny. I talked to Tommy Paul years ago and he said, I think it's annoying. It makes our sport look soft that yeah. you can't have one can't guy standing in the crowd <laughs> sure. from up there. But Tiafoe, for those that missed it, said he wants more people moving, more noise. It Shatter, it's weird. Yeah. And I don't think we'll ever get to a full rock concert. No. But there is maybe ways to loosen a few buttons, so to speak.
3: I, I'm with it. Now, again, I'm not your traditional tennis purist. Mm-hmm. And I've the one thing I do love about when I was growing up going to the U.S. Open was... Yeah that sense of, oh, this feels a little different. This isn't your normal sporting event. I do think there is something there. But at the same time, I think that if you keep it too rigid, you're not going to invite the masses. I,
1: I would I would counter too with have the golf model, have a waste management style tournament. For I mean sure. the two fifties and you can talk to any analyst or former player and they'll say we should be trying stuff at these smaller tournaments yeah, no to, doubt. to drum up interest. Have a tournament where it's like anything goes, you know? Like, what's yeah, look, there? I, yeah. I think
3: the Grand Slams yeah. and the 1,000s, that's going to be tough. And Wimbledon, you're of not, course, obviously. And if, you're never going <laughs> to yeah. change Wimbledon, yeah. and nor should you. And, uh-huh. and even Francis said that, yeah. by the way. Yeah. So I would say Indian Wells, like you're not changing Indian Wells. That's a fabric right. of the tennis community. Right. But to your point, if you can get a 250 <laughs> yeah. or maybe even a 500 that means a little something and you can get the crowd into it, that to me is where a Curios, a Tiafo, yeah. or even someone – That's even more under the radar, like a bublic could really thrive. And maybe it's a breakthrough that they may have never had that opportunity before. I just as long as these guys are trying, that's the part. Like, but you gotta, I think that yeah. I think the you crowd get gets I yeah, hundred percent.
1: Yeah, well, it's all aces for Tiafo except for I mean, the celebrity game wasn't the best.
3: <laughs> no, no, listen, <laughs> like, I, I, a little been, timid. I, uh, I think he was just a little. Uh, well, I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. We've seen a lot of video of him over the last yeah. several months, especially after that yeah. U.S. Open run of him at some yeah. facilities. I know the yeah. Wizards uh, invited him over. I'd love to work with him on his jumper. Yeah, Maybe his get ball in handling in a little bit. But listen, because we know how athletic he is. That's the thing. Yeah. It's, it's definitely in there, but yeah. he doesn't have the time to actually I own know. his basketball game. Come on.
1: You need Beal, Caldwell, Pope, like his yeah, DC guys. 100%. Come on. I think Kyle Kuzma could get him that jumper. Yeah. Hey, I mean, it, it is just a joy to watch him play. And I don't want to discount, you know, what the next generation of women are doing, too. Because that's felt like a youth movement. And, and I mean, I'm saying this glowingly, like a size revolution, too. It's sure. some real power. We always knew about Serena's all-time power, but this crop of just all the top women seem like they can really smash it. Yeah,
3: no doubt. And, and I think that a lot of the names that we've been hearing for years are, are continuously slowly getting better. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it was so unfair for Coco Goff in many ways because mm-hmm. of the early success that she had that everybody assumed she would be as quick as Serena to get to that level. But guess what? She's still incredibly young and she just slowly gets better. She slowly plugs Mm -hmm. up holes in her game. And every time I see her on the court, she's a little more solid in one area than she was the last time. The second serve keeps getting a little better. So I think that she's not the only one of those, but there are a lot of women that fit into that mold where because it's so wide open in many ways. And look, Iga Sviantek obviously Mm. has been dominant in her own right, but there has still been moments where I said, okay, this is still anyone's tournament. Yeah. And, and I think there's names that jump off the page to me. Uh, Sabalenka is someone who yeah. you just know she's going to bring it every time. But Anjabor, I mean, everybody, I you want to talk about everybody's just she, favorite she, different player. Yeah,
1: and it's unfortunate she lost and, and she's been open. She probably shouldn't be playing right now. want to yes. get her healthy. She's a disruptor,
3: you know. It's, I love it. It's fun to I, see. And, and I was glad that, you know, I, we haven't talked about Breakpoint or any of that, but I was glad that they followed her. And Paul and I were talking about this the other day, but I think Breakpoint is great for your non-tennis fans. Yeah. I think my mom and sister, for example, watched it. They don't watch any tennis, mm-hmm. really. Or they watch maybe when I'm on, or yeah. they would come to the U.S. Open and ask me, oh, who's this on the <laughs> court? And I'd be yeah. like, that's Guy on Feast. You should yeah. get to know him because he's highly entertaining, <laughs> you know. But oh, yeah. they watched it, and they'd call me after every episode, and they go, we love Anstaburr. Yeah, like, we love her. What's her deal? Is don't she going win? Don't you think she
1: wears the? I would say responsibility pretty well. I mean, because she 100%. is a huge deal. Like it's you can't understate how much she means to an entire region the of the world. The
3: pressure that she must feel is That's immense, just and just to, what I, to yeah. handle it with the the grace that she has, and considering she hasn't won at the level that she knows she's capable at, and she's gotten so so close, mm-hmm. especially in the last twelve months. I think is incredibly impressive. So I'm excited to see how she continues to develop. I know she's a little further along in her career than maybe some of those younger names, but even so, I'm always rooting her on. We have to wrap this up with No Eagle with a couple of fun kind of
1: asides for where oh, you're going it. with. And and look, the got to give you props for the Big Ten job coming up on NBC. Uh, you, Todd Blackledge, Penn State Big Ten legend himself. That's right, Catherine Tappan, who I loved her on the, the NHL coverage as well. You guys are going to be the team on Saturday night, so. That opportunity is, is a big deal, and now you're fully diving into the college football world, which, as you know, is about as passionate as it gets.
3: Different, <laughs> different, yeah. And I think that's what I've loved about tennis is the passion that the fans have, because if you're a legitimate tennis fan, as as everybody listening is, you, you bleed the sport. Yeah. You know, you eat, sleep, and do everything. Well, college football mm-hmm. is, is definitely that, and depending on where you go, and I had a full season's worth of it this year, but not... Big Ten primetime, what we're going to have next year. You know, I've done some SEC, which was really impressive to see that in person. And I had a couple Big Ten games this year. But but this level of going to Penn State at night, yeah. going to Ohio State at night, going as, and you, listen, you know plenty about uh-huh. Ohio State. Going to Michigan at night, it's different. It's a different feel. It's like the night session at a major, a Grand Slam tournament where you've got two of the top players in the world, and you're getting that every single week. So it'll be exciting. I uh, I love
1: college football as much as anything. I don't know that I'm the biggest playoff expansion fan because Ooh, okay. the regular season is so exciting, and I'm I'm just a little I don't want I have my guard up because the regular season and, and a loss mattering means so much in that sport. It yeah. makes the drama exciting, but hey, you know, we're, we're in a whole new world anyway. And, Do you and, want make, Can I make my counter yeah, argument ahead. there? Yeah.
3: So right now the NCAA basketball tournament is happening. Yeah. What's the best part about the NCAA basketball tournament? The upsets. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And right now we don't even have the opportunity for upsets. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're going to happen every year, but once in a while you're going to get one of the top teams getting upset by a, a non-Power Five, a group of five school and it's going to be the greatest so would you go night of do you think season. 12 is the number you would go to or like so I said deal. I said eight okay if I were if I were to do what I would do eight and here's how I would have done it okay. I would have said the, the five power five conference champions I would have said two just at large bids for power five schools yeah. most likely okay and then w- the best group of five schools okay. gets in and the so at that point you've got eight yeah you just go from there. This is a lengthy discussion that's going to be hard
1: to capture all of it in, but my only pushback now would be, are we going to have a power five?
3: So <laughs> that is that is a good pushback, yeah. right? And then you adjust yeah. on the fly, right? right. So at that yeah. point now you say, okay, there are only three power yeah. conferences. Let's say there's the ACC, yeah. there's the SEC and the Big Ten. We get those three. The rest of everybody else is trying to get at-large bids, mm-hmm. and one of the mid-major schools, however they deem mm-hmm. that, is guaranteed a bid.
1: Right, and it was good to see TCU pull the upset this awesome. year in the semis. It's... Uh,
3: yeah. Now, it was brutal in the final. Mm-hmm. It happens. Yeah. But guess what? That game was a classic. It's an all-timer. Yeah.
1: it's gonna. You're going to get to a point where there's going to be blowouts because the power at the top is still so you know, concentrated. So, I,
3: Emma Ratikana winning the U.S. Open. I look at that, and I, I take <laughs> yeah. that as the example, right? Yeah. No one saw that coming. And for Layla <laughs> Fernandez to get there, you know, that's, that's great as yeah. well. I mean, that was yeah. just a weird year altogether mm-hmm. in many ways. But we might never see that again. And so... Yeah, all the way through qualifying without dropping a set. That's one of the more improbable things Unbelievable. Ever. I don't know if we can ever see to that level, to your point, getting all the way and winning a, a major title like that. So I think you've got to give teams yeah. an opportunity to to do the same thing. How
1: are you with broadcasts in terms of do you check mentions? Are
3: you just <laughs> able to avoid it, put the phone down? Do you struggle with that? No, I, I probably I view everything. But okay. I think I've gotten to a point where I'm pretty cognizant and I don't really let it get to me. A lot of times, I find it comical in many ways, especially if it's meant as comedy. Like there are, Mm -hmm. I I think Jimmy Kimmel mean tweets, right? Yeah, that's a a comedy. And so sometimes (laughs) I look at it and I say, "This would be good on Jimmy Kimmel's mean tweets," you know. So that's that's how I've skewed it a little bit. But no, I don't. I I check everything. I look at everything, but I don't really pay it too much attention. Okay, well, that's. I mean, that's a strong way to look at it. I think. Yeah, just to
1: kind of push stuff back. Well, I got to ask you this too. And just from a personal standpoint, how
3: proud are you of, you know, the next step for your dad's career, Final Four coming up? Very, very. I think long time coming for him, and I'm excited more so for everybody else to see what he does yeah, and everybody else to feel what he brings because, you know, they've gotten it for the first two weeks of the tournament the last several years and before that for the first weekend of the tournament, and and he does it on, the, on a grand scale, no doubt, but to do it on the grandest scale and to bring <laughs> – We were talking about blending the pop culture Mm -hmm. and to bring wordplay and to bring comedy and brevity when it, it requires it or calls for it. I think that people are going to really enjoy it and, and it's going to yeah. open up a new audience for him and that's what i'm excited about because he's worked really hard for it i feel like you've influenced him in a way like there's <laughs> always
1: that but do you get that sense like your pop culture like because i heard i heard the nelly hot and heroing sure. there and i feel like i was watching i'm like that's noah just being around
3: him probably yeah i don't know i think i think he's had it in him maybe <laughs> okay. he's just been more and more willing to use it okay. in the last several years but he sees his son out there he's like i give it listen yeah. you gotta give him credit he <laughs> yeah. stays up to date on everything yeah. you watch Everything he listens to, everything he hits okay. Megan the Stallion, I think, two okay. years ago that caught fire. Okay. He had Big yeah. Lotto last year, Big Energy. Yeah, that was so it's fun. He, he yeah. makes it fun, and that's what I'm excited for everybody to see.
1: Well, I, I did think it was funny. I'm, I'm sure Dan Fouts did a double take when he had you, <laughs> and then your dad's like, What is going on here? Am I in a time machine? Yeah, he goes, Did I grow inches? What <laughs> happened? <laughs> yeah, that's one thing. You, you
3: got to bring up the height every time you can. I do, do I do. Difference. I feel a little bad, honestly, yeah. because <laughs> I'm hoping that. If I have a son one day, he gets two inches on me, and then it's just you keep going couple up. generations right? Up, yeah. yeah in, be, like, in like three generations, my yeah. kid's going to be a small forward in the yeah, NBA, my great, like, great-great-grandson. Like 15 generations, it'll be Webin Yama. Yeah, just be, exactly. Right? He's going to be built in a lab. Yeah.
1: Um, and I do, so uh, last kind of thing to get into is you called the most ridiculous NFL game of the season last year <laughs> with Nate Furlson, Colts-Vikings. It was It was a comedy, and I mean that in the best way, and you had
3: to just... Not check out, I think, would be the biggest thing that broadcasters For sure. feel. For sure. So it ended up being the largest comeback in NFL history, 33 points. It was 33-0 at halftime. And at halftime of the game, Nate and I are looking at each other and we're saying, what are we going to talk about, essentially? What, how can we keep the audience entertained? Now, the best education in what you mm-hmm. just said, not giving up on a game that I've gotten, mm-hmm. with the Clippers, The last several years, the Clippers Mm. have had some of the craziest comebacks I've ever seen, including down 35 points in Washington against the Wizards. They came back second largest in NBA history, came back from down 25, game six against Utah and advanced to their first ever Western Conference Finals. It taught me stay engaged, just just keep it up because you never know what happens. And that's one that'll be at the top of my list for a long time. It was exciting to see
1: uh, just all your career achievements. The final question I have for you: Are you even looking down the road? Are you living in the moment? You're, I mean, obviously young enough to where you don't have to think five years down the road. But sure. is there radar things in the back of your mind you don't have to share? Where you're no, off. I
3: I don't even know what I'm gonna have for dinner tonight. Okay, honestly. So yeah. I, I'm as long as there's much... a new sport in the Olympics, that's gotta be you <laughs> it, first. Well, that, that did happen, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> three yeah, three on yeah. three basketball. Yeah, yeah. no, it's uh i'm staying in the present for sure i think that's the best way to do it i'm happy as long as i'm enjoying what i'm doing okay. and i'm challenged by it i'm good we're happy to have you back in the tennis
1: world for the time being gotta stay here as long as you can though. i love I it
3: here you know that
1: yeah we're gonna have to we don't want to have to you know kidnap you to keep you here but, as like listen yeah. <laughs> as long
3: as sinner gets one of these so i can we'll text kill hey man I told you so. You need it, but... I do. Do. I do. Noah
1: Eagle, pleasure as always. Joy to talk to you. Thanks for coming on Tennis Channel Inside In. Always a blast. Appreciate you, MM. This was awesome. A huge thanks again to two tremendous guests and Amy Lundy and Noah Eagle for appearing on this week's episode of Tennis Channel Inside In. And a reminder that you can find every episode on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Just go to tennis.com slash podcast, where you will find Tennis Channel Insight In, as well as our outstanding shows, all of them on our network. This show streams on all your podcast platforms, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, iHeart Podcasts as well. So you'll find us wherever you're looking. We promise you that. We're back next week to discuss the Miami Open champions break down how the event was won on both the men's and women's side and then look ahead to the clay charleston for the women men are getting up getting ready for monte Carlo. So there's a lot to dive into as the men switch to europe and switch to the red dirt with the ladies sure to follow there i'm mitch michaels thanks again to amy Lundy. thanks to noah eagle this was tennis channel inside in see you next week